back to where it's nice and warm and <laughs> not cold. And Daryl asked me to do the sermon so he could have a break. Anyway, I'll, I've entitled this uh, decep- uh, Deception. No. I, I, I've got to get the right words down. Uh, dedication Part 2. I, I did Part 1 on a Bible study a little over a week week ago, I guess. Anyway, at the, at the New Moon Bible study, and I thought I would go ahead and uh, continue that. I... I know we live in a day and time where there is so much opportunity to uh, be informed and so much opportunity to be disinformed. I was thinking that as a kid, when I lived in Riverview, Florida, to be able to get any knowledge of any kind we'd have to go to a library it had to be either at the school which was a real small elementary school with a very very limited library or i could go into tampa and it was like 15 miles or so away i'd had to ride my bike to do it and i could go to a bigger uh, library and learn things but uh, but today we're at a point where we have the opportunity to learn many ways we can find anything you want on the internet and we know the internet's true <laughs> sometimes but I thought I was talking to Pat this morning and saying you know I think of the people in society a uh, hundred years ago the the average person, especially the working men, couldn't read or write. If you had a letter written to you, I mean, there were a lot of people that could read and write, but there was a lot of people like like me, like the average, that you just lived your day and you did the best you could. Today, we all read. And we have the opportunity to read and get information from every place. But do you find it that sometimes it's confusing? Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's not. But there is a lot of confusion out there. When I brought that first uh, being dedicated, I brought out people like Enoch and Noah. These were people that walked with God, but they did not have what you have today. You have at least have a Bible that records everything that was done up to this point in time. At least there's as much as Mr. Armstrong used to say, there's enough information here to help you to become part of the family of God. More could be written. Was it uh, the, the Apostle Paul or, or Peter said, if everything was written about Christ's life, there wouldn't be books big enough to hold it. So, But today we have enough. We have a Bible that records everything that happened in the past. And yet, David didn't. Now, he might have had the opportunity to read some things, but most of the stuff, the prophets were on scrolls. And most people didn't have that opportunity. But today, we have that opportunity. But there's still a lot of confusion in the church of God. You take one case, the calendar. You think there's not confusion? This this past spring, there were people who kept the calendar starting the first day of the month at least three or four different days. Started the first day of the month. Uh, some people went by the Hebrew calendar. Well, they calculated Hebrew calendar. Uh, some, and I know of a few, who would go by the closest new moon to the equinox. Uh, and then that would vary because of where they determined the equinox started. So it could be a day or two difference from other people. Others, like us, we took the, 
the new moon following the equinox. So here we got at least three different places, and in the church, the confusion is there. What is the first day of the month? And that throws a lot of things off when you do that. It throws off Passover, uh, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. So we're going to have people keeping a lot of things at a lot of different times. But what's right? What is the right thing? There's also a confusion on who are the two witnesses. I can think of, as people have told me, there's at least 12 or 13 two witnesses, but I don't know which ones are which. I, one person told me Herbert Armstrong and Ted Armstrong are going to be two witnesses. They're going to be raised out of the grave and they're going to open up the Pacific Ocean and we're going to walk through over to Petra. Well, that's a pretty good feat if you, if you could do that. But Herbert Armstrong's been dead now for over two decades. Somebody else told me that Herbert Armstrong was the Elijah to come. And I said, well, I read the Bible that when the Elijah to come, uh, this has got to happen and this has got to happen and this has got to happen and none of that's happened. When I think back and I came into the church in 1963, I began to go to church and was said that Christ, uh, that we would go to a place of safety in 1972. Well, we got closer to 72 and things didn't fit. So there was confusion back then. So Dr. Charles Dorothy was there in Houston and he said, well, there's, things haven't happened. It will probably be 82 or so. Well, this is 92 102, 112, we're at 118, and it still hasn't happened. So there is confusion in the church. And when I thought about that, I got to thinking of one of the people that God says was a very dedicated man. That was Daniel. Daniel wrote in the, in the Scriptures, in chapter 9, he said... Uh, let me get it here. Verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us confusion, or in the New King James says, to us shame of face. So Daniel, who had the scriptures, that at least the scrolls, Daniel had the opportunity to read these things. He knew educated people, but he said at that time, he said, there's confusion out here. Confusion with our king, with our leadership, with the people, we are confused. And you think we're not confused today? God wants us to be dedicated. But how do we become dedicated with all the confusion? There's something has to be done. So Daniel said again in verse 8, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings and our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. So, what we have to do then, are we looking at our life, our own personal life? Am I sinning? Am I confused? Or do I know the Scriptures? There's a lot of people in the church, out of the church, in the nation, um, who teach confusion, really. What happens when someone who knows or believes they know the Scriptures really good, and this is a case where I've run into many times, I got a letter from some person and said that he is somebody, the Elijah, I mean the, the Messiah. He, he's got his name, the Messiah. And he said, God has talked to him and told him that we should be using a lunar solar calendar, not a solar lunar calendar. And he's very forceful. He has tremendous writings that this way. But 
He will not listen to you if you said, but I don't see that. That happens with many people. I've had people and you know, call me on the phone. He don't give you a chance to talk because he's going to show you that you are wrong, that the, the two witnesses now live over there in the Philippines. And he has he is so forceful that people who are not equipped right are confused. It pulls you aside. How do you how do you compare that? So he has his scriptures that say this is the two witnesses. In fact, last year he told me the two witnesses were going to die at the was at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. But that didn't happen, so now he had to change his whole outlay. I've heard others say that they're training the two witnesses. Others have said the end is now come and put your money into this work because we only got a short period of time left. This has been a year or two or three years ago. We're still waiting. So somebody who has a very forceful personality who believes what he believes and doesn't allow you the chance to think about it can sway you the wrong direction. But there are a lot of people that have that capability. I'm just one of the people that I can let them talk and I'll go away and um, forget about it because I don't, I challenge what they have to say. In Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8 is a way to, one way, to test a person who is saying, I know the answers and you've got to do it this way. So Isaiah 8 verse 20 says, to the law and the, to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, this word, the Bible, if they're not speaking by this word, it's because there is no light in them. In other words, they might have a good uh, ability to speak. I can think of different, different organizations that I had attended uh, uh, who were selling this pick yourself up by your bootstraps deal and trying to get you to sell their product. Well, it wasn't their product they were selling. They were so forceful, you didn't have a chance to sit back and think, well, maybe it's not the product. They're just selling the business not for you, but for them. And when you sit back and you analyze that, you realize you don't want to be there. You're wasting your money. Well, anyone who speaks of God's Word, but he doesn't bring the law and the testimony. And so I have somebody who writes and says, or calls me and says, there are two witnesses here, but they don't go by the law and the testimony. Then there's no light in them. In Psalms chapter 12, David wrote, the Bible, God's Word, is purified seven times. You've heard Daryl say that many, many times. Many times. The, that if, if it's in the Bible, and Mr. Armstrong used to stress that, if it's, it's probably one of the things that brought me into contact with the Church of God was on the worldwide... To, a program, Mr. Armstrong would say, don't believe me. Believe your Bible. Don't. I don't need your money. Believe what the Scripture says. Blow the dust off your Bible. So he's telling me to start studying, I guess. But God's Word is purified. So maybe the law and the testimonies are important. In John, 1 John 4, we heard Daryl just last week said believe believe not every spirit beloved believe not every spirit so here in 1st John chapter 4 verse 1 we're told don't believe every spirit or there is a spirit you know in men and when that spirit of men is combined with the spirit of God 
then you have light and you can have fellowship with God, with Christ, and with each other. But some people's spirit doesn't do it the right way. So John was inspired to write, don't believe every spirit. Try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets. So here we're being warned by John, look out, be careful, because there are many, many people out there that are false prophets. So many false prophets are out there. And then in first, go to Second Corinthians 11 now. Second Corinthians chapter 11. So Paul was warned, I mean, John warned us. Now Paul also is going to warn us. Chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false prophets, people that are not teaching God's way of life, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So, we're to be careful because confusion is out there. Even Satan makes himself look like an angel of God. Therefore, it is no great thing for his ministers, people who claim to be ministers of Christ, also to be transformed into ministers of righteousness whose end is according to their works. Oh, so now we're told to look at their works. And there's been a lot of people. Like I said, I, got, I get letters. I get people call me and tell me that they are God's ministers. They haven't been ordained, but they're God's ministers. And I know people that I are friends who now claim to be ministers of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Again, we're warned by this time by Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermons that we're told to study. We were told to study that prior to Passover. Matthew 7, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets. Christ Himself said, Be careful. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, dressed up like God's servants, acting like God's servants, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. They're out there to pull you aside. So you have to be careful because you can be pulled aside and brought into the confusion that's out there. You shall know them, Christ said. How? By their actions by their works, by what they do, by what they preach. So you will know them by their fruits. In verse 20 it says, again, those that are out there preaching, you have to know them by their fruits. You shall know them by the way they live their life, what they teach, how they teach. God's servants are loving, giving. They they have, I know like with Daryl, he has given to the people out here and they haven't seen it. I guess it's because what we do is we look at ourselves and judge somebody else by some other way. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. What are the fruits? Galatians chapter 6. Verse 7, For whatsoever a man sows, and I'm going to read parts of it, what man sows, he will also reap. So here he's saying, you have to see what they're teaching. They're going to reap by the things that they sow. For if he sows to the flesh, uh, uh, so to his flesh, he, he will. that's what he's going to reap. So if he is teaching things to benefit himself, which a lot of people that I've met in times past are doing it for their own self. But if he sows to the Spirit, then they're going to reach everlasting life. So here in 
read. You need to read all of that. I'm just giving you a, a little bit. I want you to basically go back and read these things. Prove what I'm right or wrong. Am I teaching the truth, or am I doing what's wrong? If we're if we're teaching something wrong, what we can do is present a stumbling block for somebody else who is not as strong as you are. You know, a a person that is very strong in the faith will not cause you to stumble. But somebody who is out for himself, like it says, who is preaching for physical advantage will cause you to stumble. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Here Paul is telling us, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So Paul gave us something there. And you ask, well, we're told to judge angels. We're told that we should be able to judge other things. But here the word judge one another has a specific meaning. It comes from 29.19 in the Strong's. And it means to mentally or physically judge. It implies condemnation or punish. So here where Paul is saying, don't judge somebody with the intent to condemn them or to punish them. That's not what he's wanting you to do. So when he says, when you condemn them or punish them, you make a stumbling block for them. It also means to condemn, to damn, to say this is the end. You're going to the lake of fire. Or to take them to court and sue them or to call in question their way of life or, or make a sentence. So not only is Paul saying here we don't judge one another, we're not out here to find their faults and put them down with the intent that it makes it so difficult for you to live that you stumble and you give up. You don't want that to happen to somebody else. So he says, don't cause your brother to stumble. Christ in Matthew, talking about uh, finding faults with other people in condemnation ways, said in Luke 17, verse 1, says, Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come. You are going to offend other people. It's impossible not to because we're human. We have a way of life. Our way isn't the way that somebody else lives. And so we're going to condemn people. But he says, Woe unto him who, through whom it comes. You've got to be careful this condemnation or this offense that you bring. It would be better if you cause what Christ is saying is by your actions or your motivation, or maybe your convictions are so strong, and there's somebody that is weak, that it caused them to just give up. If that happens, Christ said, it would be better that you'd be thrown in the seven-mile depth of the ocean with a millstone on your neck. So you have to be careful. If you are very convicted in your belief, no matter what it is, right or wrong, that you don't condemn somebody else to death. So Paul saying, be careful when you judge other people. It's easy to cause confusion in their life. The, uh, the word off, uh, offenses will come Offenses, according to Vine's explanatory Bible dictionary, is from 4625. It originally was the name of a part or a trap to which the bait was set. 
So if you're causing an offense, it's because you're baiting somebody. Has that ever happened to you? Has somebody not tried to bait you into a decision that they've made or trap you? That's why there's confusion out there because people try to trap each other into their belief. Hence, trap or snare itself as in Romans 11, 9. So Romans 11, verses 8 through 10. And this is a, a reason that they snare. Paul was inspired to write, according as in verse 8, according as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber. Who? Some of the weak people. Some of the people that are going the wrong direction too. He caused them to slumber. Eyes that they should not see. Some of these people that are very forceful with their ideas have eyes that they don't see the truth. Ears that they don't hear the truth unto this day. And David said to those people that are trying to lead other people astray to cause them to stumble, let their table be made a snare and a trap. It's an offense, a snare and a tramp, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them, and let their eyes be darkened. Those that are causing this problem, that they may not see or bow down their back anyway. So again, a stumbling block is something that we're going to have to be careful of. If we cause an offense, is it a stumbling block for somebody else? Is it going to cause confusion in their belief? Matthew 16, verse 23 says, For in Peter's words the Eternal perceived a snare was laid for him by Satan. Even the apostles, Satan was trying to snare them with offenses, with Words to cause them to fall short. So it's important each day, no matter your depth of your belief, it's important on what you say and how you say it. You can be very convicted. You can be very firm in what you know. And somebody else be firm in a different thing. But you can cause confusion there. You don't want to be one that causes confusion. Leviticus 19.14 tells us, you don't curse a deaf person. Somebody that hasn't, that can't hear. And you don't put a stumbling block or a, a way for a blind person. You wouldn't go out there and put a, a board or a block or a pit in front of a, a blind person, would you? So God is saying, what you say, how you say it, is very important because you can cause an offense for somebody else based on their understanding. And so He says, but shall fear the God. You should fear God. Your whole thoughts ought to be to be like Christ. He did not want to cause other people's stumble. Yes, he called the Pharisees and the Sadducees as snakes, but this is what they were teaching. He said, they are causing confusion. They're teaching one thing and doing something else. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 8, telling us, what we think, how we think, what we know. But he says, Take heed, lest by any means your liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. So you are so strong in your belief. He's telling you, the way you say things, the way you talk, can cause somebody to stumble. Somebody that maybe hadn't studied as much as you that doesn't believe as strong as you. Maybe their faith is a little bit weak in one area. He said, be careful. Don't allow that to become a stumbling block for the other person. 
For if any man see you which have knowledge, sit at meat. So here Paul was telling about these people were talking about eating different foods. He was talking about it's uh, clean and unclean meats. He said, if somebody sees you sit in a temple and shall uh, and shall not consider uh, him which is weak, so you see somebody who is weak and says, hey, uh, I can't eat this kind of food. Be careful, because of your liberty, you understand that you can eat meat. You can eat uh, different things. But they don't quite understand that yet. Be careful, he said, that that liberty that you have doesn't become an idol or become a stumbling block uh, or shall not be consistent with him which is weak to be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols because it would become sin for him. In other words, if you can't do it in faith, it is sin. So maybe your faith is strong that you can eat uh, meat and somebody else's faith is weak they can't eat meat. Will you cause them to stumble? Or maybe it's in another area. Any area of your life with the Bible in mind, with God's Word in mind, if you are strong in a faith and they don't quite see it your way, would your liberty that allows you to do those things this way cause somebody else to fail? Inside the church of God, like I brought out earlier, there is at least three or four different first days of the month, which is right. Is it your faith who says, we've studied it this way? It has to be the new moon after the equinox, and the equinox is calculated from this point. There's only one place is equinox, and that's at the equator. But somebody else thinks it's in Jerusalem, Middle East. Somebody else thinks it's the equinox at at Zulo time, which is uh, military time. Or maybe it's there at that point, just east or west, rather, of, of Tonga, out in the middle of the Pacific. So there could be a lot of different times that people change. Is your faith the way you believe and this little group strong enough that you are loving enough and kind enough that you won't cause somebody else to fail because they don't believe it like you believe. So that's what he's saying here. So why is there so much confusion? It's in the church everywhere. Is it because we do not search the Bible? Maybe we don't search and they do or You search and they don't? Is it because this person puts the Scriptures together this way and somebody else puts the Scriptures against it the other way? I had one man, one of the things when I first broke away from Worldwide, say, too many people combine the Scriptures the wrong way. In other words, like Mr. Armstrong pointed out many years ago, the one preacher said, because he didn't like the way women wore their hair, he took a little bit of the scripture and says, top knot come down. So he just didn't want the women to wear their hair in top knot. What about us? Do we take a piece of the scripture here and a piece there? And I, I listened to a sermon by somebody that I knew and liked make those statements. He read a part of the Scripture and says, well, you don't need to know the rest of it. Because he was trying to show his point. He had his opinion. He had his axe to grind. And so... He brought that out. So you need to listen to, you don't need to listen to this other, but just read this little bit, and then you take this little bit over here, and you put these together, and yes, it has been said, I've heard it many years ago, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, said that anything you want to come from the Bible can come from the Bible. It just depends on how you put it there. I know the scripture says, here a little and there a little, line upon line, line upon line. Yes. 
But if you put line upon the wrong line and verse upon the wrong verse, you can cause confusion in other people's lives. But what are we to do? Because there is an answer to it. Paul wrote that in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21. Paul wrote to us, inspired by God, he wrote, prove all things. It is a command, God-given command through Paul to prove everything. You have the Bible. That's where you get your proof from. Prove all things. Hold to the truth. Hold to the what's good. And then abstain from the parts that are not good. So listen to what people say, maybe. But then go back and prove it. Is that what God said? Is that what Christ said? 1 John 4 again, verse 1. said, Beloved, believe not every spirit. So it doesn't make any difference. You can hear these things, but don't believe every spirit, but try the spirit. So, John is telling us the same thing Paul did. Prove it. Try it. Test it. Try the spirit, whether it be of God, because many false prophets are going out in the world. Because there are false teachers. They will lead you astray. Especially those that have that conviction and that capability to teach their, their ways. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, Second Thessalonians 2, Paul said, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold to the traditions which you have been taught, whether they be word or epistles. So go back. Take what you have proved behind a shadow of a doubt by scriptures that this is the truth. Now, we have made changes. We changed Passover services. We didn't change the doctrine. We have Passover as the most holy day and also the first day of unleavened bread from 64 through, I don't know, 2002 or 3 or 4, whichever it was. I believe Passover was Passover and the first day of unleavened bread was the 15th. But through studying the Scriptures, I didn't change the doctrine. I only made it more clear. But it took the Bible and it took putting line upon line, verse upon verse, and studying it to see that, you know, in Acts 11, 12, 13, it says this day, which day? Passover day is the most holy day. Which day did Christ die? Which day did my sins be covered? Pentecost. I mean, Passover, rather. Passover day. So, we didn't change the doctrine. We we got to the point where we could better understand the Scriptures. Timothy was told by Paul in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 through 17, again, something that you've probably gone over time and time again. I've heard it for years. Second uh, Timothy three fifteen, And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul was telling Timothy, look, you were raised knowing these Scriptures which are able to make you wise. The Scriptures can make you wise unto salvation through faith in Emmanuel, our Christ. All Scripture, Paul said, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Go back and read Second Peter 1. 
All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. People are told by Peter. He said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation. We're commanded to be careful that the Scriptures are not for private interpretation. Confusion comes when people use the Scriptures to pinpoint their ideas, their thoughts. But Christ, speaking through Peter, says it's no private interpretation. The Scriptures that were written, or the prophecies, as it says in 21, came not in old time by the will of men. It was not written by man's will. So anybody has their own private interpretation, their own will, you're told to be careful. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. People that gave the Scriptures. So when Paul said in verse 16 of of Second Timothy, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. That's why Paul was able to say that. He as well as Peter and many other people, believe that the Scriptures were written by God through men that He used to write them, not for their own will or their own uh, point of of view, but for God's point of view. In verse 17, He tells us that the man, the woman, the spiritual being, the spiritual person who is to be a part of the family of God, that that person, the man of God, may be perfectly, thoroughly finished unto good works. So these are here for good works. Not as it said before, knowing their works and their works are not righteous works. The Bible is written so that you can have good works. So, if there is confusion... How do you get away from it? You want to be a very dedicated human being. Dedicated to God. Dedicated to God's way. To be a part of God's family. To be a part of God's church. You do that by carefully testing everything that's being said for the purpose of protecting your spiritual life because confusion is out there. If you're not testing everything, if you're checking it against the Scriptures, then you're going to be safe. If you're not, you could fall short. Proverbs chapter 6, most of the time we cover a short part. It tells what happens when people go contrary to God. But in chapter 6 of Proverbs verse 20, says uh, to us, tells us, My son, keep your father's commandments. So, here we're told, first of all, to keep the commandments. If somebody tells you different than that, and if you don't know the commandments, then you can be led astray. So, it's important to for your spiritual health, your spiritual life, you must keep your Father's commandments and forsake not the law of your mother. The Father gives us the commandments. The mother is the church. It leads us in the right path. He tells them to bind them upon our hearts. That means you've got to really know what the commandments say. Bind it upon your heart so that you don't fall short and tie it upon your neck and when you go out it shall it shall lead you so if this is if you really know God's word the the commandments the laws the statutes the judgments and God's word is what you have to have in in, in your life and if you knew it if you keep that you know it and you go out it's going to lead you every day in the right path When you sleep, it shall keep you. And when you wake, it shall talk with you. 
For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproof and instruction in the way of life. So that's why it's important that you test everything. Because it is for your very way of life. The fact that you have an opportunity to be a part of the family of God. Go back and put down and maybe read this later. Read first Second Peter three, two through five. Go back and read that. And write that down. Another thing to do is to test everything with the Bible to be safe. So it's kind of tied together. Test everything that's said, but then test it with the Bible to be safe. Not only take a verse, and like I said, some people build everything around a verse, but it, what you need to do is read the context because sometimes the context gives you a little bit better light of part what the inspired writer was trying to bring across. So read the context. Look up all related scriptures on that subject. So you're going to be, when you look up the related scriptures, you're putting line upon line, verse upon verse, subject upon the subject, and find out everything that the Bible has to say about that specific subject. Whether it is becoming dedicated to God, or to what you eat, or to whether you're going to put a stumbling block in the front of somebody else. So it's important to do that. Again, in 1 John 1-4, through 4, said, Beloved, believe not every spirit. That's why you have to do that. Because many false prophets are out there. So by taking what is said, listening, writing it down, going home, and studying it. Like I said at the beginning, David didn't have the Bible. What did David do in his life? He was out there leave, taking care of sheep. I told Pat this morning, I said, David was out there. He, he studied the stars. He learned the Maserat. There's a lot in, this, in the Bible about the Maserat. David studied that. He knew those things. He knew how animals functioned. I would even imagine that part of that time that he, with his sling, learned so he could hit a fly at about 20 feet with his sling, which is pretty good because one day it was good for him because when he came in front of Goliath, he knew he right where to throw that stone. So David didn't have this book which you are blessed with. We not only have this book, but we have the access to millions of places to get the truth. But specifically the Bible tells you how to have spiritual life. It is our importance that we learn how to do it God's way. That's why Enoch was walked with God. He preached God's way of life. He didn't have the Bible, as far as we know. We don't. We really don't know exactly how much they had to trans, uh, transpired between Adam and the flood. But apparently, they were pretty educated at that time. What 1,900 years thereabouts. They had grown a long way. They had been accomplishing many things because we're also told that when the end comes, it's going to be like the days of Noah. They were doing an awful lot in the days of Noah. So Enoch preached righteousness. So that's what we have to do. We have to learn to do things God's way. Again in Matthew 7, now at verse 21... Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone, Christ said, it comes to me and says, Lord, Lord. Not everybody. You have to get that in your mind. Not everybody. A lot of people will come and say, Lord, Christ is, Christ is Messiah. Christ did this. Uh, we love you, Lord. He says, Not everybody that comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
So he qualified that. What are you doing? How do you know you're doing it God's way? Because you take and look up the Scriptures, you prove it based on God's Word. Prove it on the words that God has said it was written by holy men as God inspired them. This is in God's inspired Word. It is God's Word that has been purified seven times. So we know it's the truth. Many will say, verse 22, to me in that day, the day when it comes to being a part of the family of God, when Christ says, come to me, they're going to say to Him, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name? Is there not people prophesying in Christ's name now? And in, and in your name cast out demons? Yes, people have done that. And in your name have done many wonderful works? But Christ is going to look at them because He looks at their fruit. He looks at the way they've lived their life. Whether they were in confusion, whether they caused stumbling blocks for other people, or whether they were doing God's will. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Do they keep the commandments? Or do they teach, you can fudge here or there? Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So it's more important to live by every word of God. That's why when Satan attacked Christ, and said, here, create food. Christ said, you don't live by physical food. And talking not of physical life, but spiritual life. But spiritual life, eternal life, is by living by every word of God. So when Satan attacked him, he said, you have to live by every word of God, by the sayings of mine that does them I will, I will liken him unto a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Again, where is your house being built? On the Scriptures? Or on somebody's idea? Or are you checking things out, making it safe biblically? In Acts 17, and I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. Verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So here he, they've been cast out of one place. They've been put down. And when they go into the synagogue of the Jews in Berea, he says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. The people in Thessalonica were not very fair-minded. They were, they were opinionated. And they were in confusion in that they received the Word with readiness. Do you receive the Word with readiness? And search the Scriptures daily to see whether these were things were so. It's a command then to you and to me that we should go out there and search the Scriptures. We should test the Scriptures to see if they're true. Again, in 2 Timothy 3, all Scriptures. That's why we test the Scriptures. Because He confirms that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Holy men and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, instruction in righteousness. That's why we have to test it. Romans 13.11 We test it. Why? Why do we look at everything? Romans 13.11 And that knowing that the time is now high time to awake out of sleep. We've heard sermon in the past what 18 years for some of us some of us 
longer, some of us fewer times. But we keep hearing the same thing, that knowing that that the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep. Wake up and know and now is our salvation nearer than we when we first believed. I can remember Paul Flat, one of the first sermons that he gave in Houston in nineteen sixty six or seven, I'm not sure what year. He was on the stage and he said he's the length of this stage and he said this is man's history and he walked over to maybe an eighth of the stage left and he said this is where we stand today I can look and say we're a lot closer than he was in the 60's to the return of Christ and when we see Paul telling us to wake out of sleep Meaning we have to get our act together. We don't have time to mess around. So he says, Wake out of sleep, for now is your salvation nearer than when you first believed. That was 50-some years ago for me. Where do I stand today? Am I asleep? Isaiah 51 tells us to wake. Awake! Get up! Open your eyes! Because things are happening. If we don't, Christ tells us in Mark 13, lest Him coming suddenly, He finds you asleep. What happened in Matthew 25? All the virgins were asleep. Not all of them had what needed to go forward. So, as Ecclesiastes tells us, whatever your hand finds to do, And I used to tell that to my children. You can do anything you want, but whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. If you want to be a dedicated Christian, a dedicated person with God, if you want to walk with Christ, you have the opportunity You have to do it with your might. You can't fall asleep. You can't neglect the opportunities. So the important parts are the Scriptures. They're written for you, for me, for the church, for mankind. By holy people. Not by somebody's ideas. So when somebody brings their ideas, when they come to you with their forceful talk or their forceful ideas or their, or they say you don't have to tithe or you don't have to keep the Sabbath or you, you don't have to uh, you can eat pork if you want to or because none of that means anything and I've had somebody come to me and say the Passover the Pentecost trumpets atonement none of that means anything I look at that and say but that's not what God says So you have to be doing what you do. Your way. Follow God's way. Study the Scriptures. Do it with your might. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, I wanted to try, I just wrote that down and, and, and I wanted to bring that out. Let me go 1 Corinthians 13. Verse. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men or angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. No matter how great a speaker it is, no matter how powerful he is, if he doesn't have godly love and godly knowledge, he's nothing but a tinkling cymbal and you can let it go away. And he says, continues in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have the gift of faith so that I can move mountains, but I don't have godly love, godly way of life, I am totally nothing. You need to put yourself in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, 
do it with the might, your might. Go home. You hear sermons. You re- you hear topics. Prove them with the scriptures. Look up the context. Look up all related scriptures because it's imparent, important rather if you're to be a very dedicated person like Noah or Abraham or David or Paul or Peter or John if you're going to be that dedicated you need to know what you know and know that it is it complies with God's will and live by the will of God so if you're going to be the bride of Christ if you're going to be a part of what God is doing you're going to want God to say to you well done my good and faithful servant or well done my good and faithful wife.